Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk at Hagelbon on Twitter, uh, and I'm with uh, Erica, who is uh, Lavos. Uh, why do I always forget? It's Lavos. Lavos twelve. Lavos XII on Twitter, um, who you all should be following, uh, and she is here to talk to us about. Well, you you can tell us. What are you here to talk with us about? Well, I kind of had a lot in mind. Mainly, um, I was playing near the new near Automata recently, and I was like. You know, this reminds me of Chrono Cross, which is my, like, long-time-running favorite game because they're both sequels that are uh, pretty tenuously connected Mm. to uh, the first game that they are a sequel to. And then, you know, whatever goes off of there. Sure, great. And actually, I was playing Nier today, so I'm trying to... I think we talked about this. I'm trying to work my way through uh, Nier Automata... Uh, because I want to write about it. Um, but I've never actually played the first Nier. Uh, this is the first of the uh, Drakengard family of games that I've ever played. Um, and so I'm, uh, I'm kind of, I was kind of taken today. I was thinking about the world that the game was taking place in, because it gets to a place where this isn't spoiling it for anyone. Um, but it gets to a place where you're at a castle, right? Um, you sort of go mm-hmm. to this castle where this uh, forest king lives. Um, and immediately I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, before I thought this game was like a generic city, and now all of a sudden there's a castle. <laughs> Where am I expected to be right now? What is this place? Right, Where... there's that. There's the you're in the met, you're in the metropolis. Um, there's the car. There's the whole uh, amusement park area. There's the yeah. desert, and the desert actually is supposed to be the ruins of one of the towns in the first game. So see, that's what I was. That's what I was thinking. I, immediately I thought to myself, oh wait, like. Is this actually just the ruins of Nier, like the first Nier, or is it? Uh, I think plot? some of it might be. I okay. honestly, I didn't, I didn't play the first one because I didn't really, you know, it was 2010. I was what 18. I had no idea who Yoko Taro was, <laughs> right. and it's not like the game had a pretty like wide release or marketing press in uh in the U.S. That was around the time I was still playing like. You know, I was a teenage boy once. I I played all the Call of Duty games, and I have opinions sure. on those, but that's you know, maybe for later. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, well, no, the same thing. And I mean, there's a there's a way in which I the the legacy of Near Automata I think has surprised a lot of people. I, I feel like I'm not alone in that. Um, in like you know, seeing a game and thinking it looked cool, and then starting to play it and enjoying it, and then kind of doing some research on it and realizing like oh, this is like, if you want to count it, like the fourth or fifth sequel of a particular franchise that has its own really weird legacy. And it's like, okay, now I'm, I, I feel a little Yeah, I heard see. that, I heard that like, because all these, all all the Drakengard and the Nier games, because Nier Automata is, if you're counting the Drakengard series, it's like Drakengard 1, 2, then the first Nier, and then, and then Drakengard 3 comes out, and then Nier Automata comes out. And the games are all like, like, I think the first Nier is, like, the c- continuation of one of the endings for Drakengard 3, which didn't actually come out yet. <laughs> and then and then one of the endings of Nier moves on into Nier Automata. And the games are all set, like, thousands of years apart. Right. And are pretty, like, tenuously connected. Because I think in one of the Drakengards, you, like hop over from an alternate universe into, like, ac- into, like modern-day Tokyo... And that oh, sort of transitions into, I think, the first Nier. 
Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, 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 okay. I mean, and it's just like, it's. I read some of the endings, and I was trying to piece it together a little bit, and then I realized I was just way out of my depth. And this was ages ago, so I don't quite remember it at all. But that sounds similar to what I read. But it's just this fascinating thing, and it, it leads into the, the thing that you were hinting at before, which is this connection between um, sequels and, and, and their and I guess their inspirations or forebears or whatever you want to call them, and particularly ones that, like, don't obviously have a connection. Because you can think about games like, I don't know, like the classic sequels, right? Like, um, uh, well, Mario's kind of a hard case because uh, Mario 2 is kind of like one of these games. But think about something like, I don't know, Ninja Gaiden 1 and Ninja Gaiden 2 or uh, Final Fantasy 1 and Final Fantasy 2. They're, like, continuations of style and often of characters, whereas in this case it's, like, a... I think what you were hinting at, like a total disconnect. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's for like near, near is like a pretty rudimentary, as far as I can tell, a pretty rudimentary hack and slash. Mm-hmm. Like they admitted that they weren't used to making action games. And that's why it got kicked over to platinum who has like a history of making those kinds of games that made Bayonetta, Metal Gear Rising, Transformers, that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game mm. like last year that nobody played. Um, they <laughs> haven't they haven't had a great like run recently, but like Automata is, you know, I'm gonna admit it. I didn't actually like playing the game a lot. <laughs> like I didn't like the com I, the combat's fine, but it's not actually what I liked about the game. Mm-hmm. And I was I thought it looked cool, but. I mainly went into it because I saw people talking. And this is the this is the I maybe not petty, but this is such a minor reason. I saw someone go like, "Oh, it has it has multiple routes," and I was like, oh, "I gotta get in on that." <laughs> like that's that's my that's my favorite thing. No, no, I hear you. I actually I really like the way they do multiple routes in that game. And now we're we're kind of getting off off, but that's okay. That's kind of the design here. I like the multiple routes in that game because it's less a. Um, you know, for me, multiple routes are fun if they um, if they kind of I'm trying to think of a good way to say this. If they kind of write over one another. So there's this concept in maybe you know it. Uh, this concept in literary criticism called the palimpsest. It's not technically literary criticism. It's like a thing. But a palimpsest is just like um, if you took a sheet of if you took a piece of paper and wrote all over it and then erased it and wrote on top of it. Um, that idea of something erased and then something written on top of it is kind of this concept that people are really fascinated by. Um, and I like multiple routes when they do that, like, like near kind of does, uh, or near automata does, I guess near does too. Um, but sometimes I get stressed out about multiple routes when it's like, uh, you can, you know, you can only get one per game or one per play or something like that. So I really liked that aspect of, mm-hmm. of near automata. I, I, I don't think it's stressful in the way that, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a specific game, okay? Because that in my mind represents like route minutia. Um, I was playing Corpse Party. I don't know if you've ever yeah, uh, yeah. heard or played of it. And the things you have to do like per chapter in that game to avoid like bad endings or to just basically not fuck yourself over uh, <laughs> for the end of the game are are so minor and so unobvious and they consist of, of everything from like, you didn't pick up the right item, which is like normal, or you didn't talk to somebody, which is slightly more out of the way or like 
instances where you're supposed to return to the same place multiple times without any clear indication that oh like like your your sister goes to the bathroom and you're supposed to go and like check on her and then leave and then check on her again or something yeah why um, would you think that that would be something you have to yeah, do yeah it's right? it's 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 something where like you're getting punished really heavily um I, well i guess this i guess this implies that like true or good endings are your reward and all the bad endings are just punishing you for being a bad player, which I think maybe is not exactly what they're trying to go for. Um, right, because yeah, na- a narrative, especially like in a game like that, is pretty much designed for you to... Uh, excuse me. Um, like, all those characters are kind of supposed to die, and yeah. you managing to figure out the extremely weird way in which to not do that is... Um, <laughs> I think that's supposed to be your, like, reward. You know, there's kind of something to say about the... I mean, the way Corpse Party does that... uh, And I haven't played Corpse Party, but I'm aware of it. But that's a really interesting reading of that game. And then also, like, the ways in which other games, like... um, I'm thinking of Silent Hill 2, um, or any of the Silent Hills, really. And even near sort of, like, the multiple endings are this way of managing um, an overall impossible situation. Like, a situation that doesn't seem to actually have any sort of clear or easy way out um and in fact like iterations or ways of doing it again and again or differently uh end up being these uh i don't know the the way the game deals with the i don't know the the difficulty of writing itself out of an impossible plot Hmm. well i think a lot of visual novels are about that kind of mm-hmm. metafictional thing of Hey, we want to give you multiple storylines, but we also need to have a narrative justification for you going through multiple storylines and yeah, not just right. and not just justify it as well. It's a video game and you get to make different choices each time because you're you're making choices based on the fact that you have knowledge of previous choices you had made. So you you're going into a storyline where your character is, you know, ostensibly this is their first time going through it. They're supposed to be making you know, you're making calls based on calls you've already made, mm-hmm. which the character doesn't know about. And I'm thinking, like, even if you go back to something like Clonade, <laughs> where you're going through, you're supposed to be going through the same days over and over and, you know, romancing different girls and talking to different people, um, there's, like, a narrative justification with, like, some sort of time loop Groundhog Day type thing where once you go through and talk to all the different girls and all of that, then you actually get to have some sort of, um, you get to get a solution for why you're in that situation in the first place. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's something, there's something there too about, I don't know, like it seems like, we're coming back to time and, and the way that time works and the way, obviously both in literal senses, right. The, the, the sense of like the groundhog day loop or the sense of, uh, shooting forward thousands of years, uh, between, uh, iterations of the same game uh, or same series. And then also just like metaphorical time when you're thinking about, um, you're thinking about like the fact that the player, uh, exists in their own temporal space while playing the game or between games or whatever. Uh, and um, that's not quite metaphorical. I guess it's just sort of like meta time. Uh, yeah. But there's like, there's a way in which the sequels you talked about, like specifically I'm thinking Chrono Cross here, um, 
sort of speak to that because Chrono Cross, I have to admit, and this is like a weird admission because I don't think I've mentioned this, but like Chrono to anyone, but uh, Chrono Trigger was like a sounds like a huge confession. It's not uh, <laughs> Chrono, <laughs> Chrono Trigger was like my favorite game ever, um, and I bounced off of Chrono Cross hard. Like I played, I don't know, ten hours. hours of it and just didn't get into it. Yeah, gave up. See, I've I've gone back and played Chrono Trigger a few times, and I like the game a lot. And it starts off as, you know, your you and your kid friends. One of them figured out how to do time travel, um, which is such a which is such a like, kid movie plot, like Magic right. Tree House, yeah, uh, the Liberty Kids, something like that. You figure you go back in time. I would, did the Liberty Kids go back in? I you know I never watched that. I was too old for it. But um, <laughs> I think I'm I think like I'm this, even older, so I don't even. Know. I think it was these kids who were like helping in the American Revolution or something. I'm not sure if they went back in time or if they were just like kids of the era. Man, kids um, of the era doing that would be pretty bold. But I'm thinking like Magic Treehouse where they get in the Magic Treehouse and they go to like Pompeii or something. Sure. Um, you know, other other events. The French Revolution and they managed to save all the aristocrats and it's vastly different. Um, but it's it's such a it's such a kids movie plot of, you know, plucky time adventure basically right. go visit the caveman you know see a dinosaur or something like that go visit the future um, see a robot yeah yeah and they visit the future and the future is all screwed up it's completely destroyed and they're like what happened and it's like oh it was this huge creature it was uh it was lavos he came out in 1999 and blew the world up and they're like well we're from 1600 or something so that's not really our problem but we're gonna try <laughs> our best to solve this and they kind of go around, and it's very, it's very like, we think this this dark sorcerer summoned him, and they find out no, they, Thabos was here from like, the like when the cavemen were here, and then the civilization was using it for power, right. and the civilization civilization got destroyed, and so they're like, okay, well we have to go back in time. And get rid of this guy, or we have to go to 1999. And you know, I'm pretty sure they go right before he he's released and like kill him. And there's a few different ways they do that. They either they fly their their boat into him, mm-hmm. and it does some damage, or they go through one of the antagonist dungeon and do it. Or they just since they have a time travel thing, they can actually just go and fight them whenever. And that's kind of a point of when. When you play the game a second time and you're over leveled, you can like go through the game and do stuff out of order because you just get to time travel. Yeah, and you or can, I mean, you... the game sets itself up that way. You can kind of walk in the wrong portal in the first, famously in the first thing when Marley's um, uh, or Marl. I've heard it both ways, or maybe I've just always said it Marley and I've heard it Marl. But the uh, when her I said ne- Marl. Oh, okay. I thought it was um, uh, yeah, it's her necklace, but it's like Luca's. Oh, right. I'm travel machine, I think. Yes, but if you go in the wrong one, right? If you don't follow the necklace, but you go in the other time travel machine, you get to go fight Lavos at, you know, level one or whatever. Um, yeah, I think you, like, as soon as you get into, um, as soon as you get a fourth party member and it kicks you to uh, the the time travel hub world, you mm-hmm. can just, like, go 
go to the corner of the room and like interact with a pot, which will send you directly to 1999, where you get to fight the final boss at like right, level yeah. 15 or whatever you are. And you can <laughs> do that two playthroughs in and defeat them. And you can actually, like, I, I think I've seen people grind their way to high levels and defeat it on the first playthrough, and you get, like, I think you get the developer's room ending. Oh, but there's, nice. there's, like, there's something like 20 different endings depending on when you go and fight the final boss. Right, and, like, yeah. this is interesting, um, but it's, you know, it's a JRPG. I, I like I like some of the aspects of it. I like the, the on-map enemy encounters. I don't like random encounters. Same. Um, and I think some of the, the plot twists are interesting. I really love the music. I, I love all the music Yasunori Mitsuda has ever done. I the aesthetic is fine. Toriyama's art is fine. When uh, you know, <laughs> not a, not, it, a, not a Dragon Ball fan. I like I like the first up? Dragon Ball, and then I think. Don't get me started on Z. Z okay, has some will. nice designs, <laughs> but like. He needs to stop drawing the same, like, either, like, desert area or the, like, grass <laughs> and a few trees area. It seems, it's a, it's, it's really disorienting right. when everyone seems to be fighting on the same, like, endless plane. <laughs> but anyway, like, Chrono Trigger is fine. It plays well. It's a good game. I like the part where Chrono dies and you have to get a doll of him to replace at the moment he dies. Yeah, it's very strange. It's it, there. It, I think you're right. Like, there's the it's it's a JRPG. It's a typical JRPG with a lot of like kind of off or or off putting or dark elements that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Yeah, and I think it's aged well. I played it on the DS mm-hmm. when it had that re release like eight years ago or something. I don't know when sure. that was. Um, but the thing about Cross is. Like in Trigger, they you know they succeed. They 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 kind of prevent the apocalypse for the most part, and um, then they go back and they I guess they live their lives. That's the implication at the end of the game. Right. So it's like they they kind of willy nilly travel through time and do whatever they want, um, and they're kids, and they manage to uh, you know kind of save the day with their time travel device. And then they go back and live their lives. And Chrono Cross is basically all the implications of all the stuff they did in the first game. Mm. The whole plot line is basically, well, these kids, you know, might have defeated, might have defeated the big bad, but uh, they kind of, you know, they kind of just tore through time and space, <laughs> not really knowing anything. So you actually see, like later in Chrono Cross. You you enter this whole area that's basically a city frozen in time as it's being destroyed by waves. And you oh, can wow. actually walk around on these frozen waves and walk through these like half destroyed buildings that are like if time became unfrozen would be destroyed within seconds. And it's like it's like a metropolis. And the, and it doesn't it doesn't jive with the level of technology in the, in in Chrono Cross at all, which is like. Kind of, you know, it's Magitech type stuff. Right. And um, very, like, island culture type stuff. And you're walking through this area that's like a futuristic metropolis. And there's a point where you you find a group of the antagonists, because the game is... I should explain this for people who are not familiar with the game. 
the game is split into two universes, the home universe and the alternate universe, where certain events have happened in one that don't occur in the other, so you kind of switch between the two to do plot lines. Right. Um, so you find a group of the antagonists, like, frozen before this portal in this, like, about-to-be-destroyed city that's also frozen, and you go through, and it's the um, it's the town square from the first game. Oh. Which is, and it's half-destroyed, and you actually go and talk to kind of the ghostly apparitions of the main characters from the first game, and they, um... I, I think they kind of they kind of chide you and chide themselves for for everything that's happened, mm-hmm. and then you fight your you fight your um the big you fight your character's love interest's dad who got stuck there because of something that happened before the story proper. Okay, and it's it's just it's a it's a really weird it's a really weird game because. You only you see you see the protagonists of the first game just a few times, and you see them either in flashbacks, but you don't even see them in the flashbacks. You see like pictures of them, mm. and you see them as ghostly apparitions of when they were kids, either in this in this like portal inside of a time frozen wasteland that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. So like really really out of the way of like the normal storyline, the normal world that the characters inhabit. That's and then later, at the end of the game, on the beach that you start the game on, um, where you have to give them an item to go fight the the real final boss, which is a bastardized version of Lavos from the first game after he merges with Shala from the first game. So mm-hmm. it's a weird, like, outside-of-time thing. It's just... It's a game that's, like, really barely connected to the first one, Except you're dealing with all the problems that they created in the first game that you didn't really stick around to to see. No, it's really I, interesting. Yeah, I oh, guess right. you do go, you do, you do go and talk to Robo at one point. He's actually he's being referred to as Prometheus and he's being used as part of the um one of the dungeons. Like he's he's important to um. Like your character accidentally becomes the the key to unlocking this like futuristic, um, this futuristic system that got blasted into the past, because basically it, the Chrono Cross uh, narrative is like pretty notoriously complicated. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, even the Chrono Trigger. I mean, if you would have told me to summarize Chrono Trigger, I would have thought it would be easy. But actually, like hearing you work it out, it's like. Oh yeah, like it's actually really difficult to <laughs> to nail down what goes on in because it's all these all these things have to to the player are occurring pretty much at the same time because you can you can go to them at any given time. And right. It's only the way that you like see these events unfold that creates this narrative where you realize, oh, this is what the antagonist is, yeah, and this is how we have to defeat them. And Chrono Cross is the is well, they go back after succeeding, but they still have time travel equipment, and that that basis for time travel eventually translates into, you know, people studying it as science, and there's a whole right. facility d- developed um, in the future for studying that thing, and they, they screw it up so bad 
that they send themselves back in time and they send a dinosaur, like a, a dinoid, whatever they were called in the um, the first game. Mm-hmm. They send their ancient civilization forward in time, and that becomes the dragons that you see throughout the game. Which, if you're an RPG player, you just go, oh, it's fantasy, there are dragons, of course there are dragons. But then they go ahead and explain it. And then they go and explain why there are these dragons here, who right. are pretty benign for most of the game. And then once you... You basically go and find the the future civilization frozen in time, and you find out that there's this supercomputer called Fate who you've actually been recording your data on every time you use one of the save points. <laughs> I love when games explain save points like that. I, I, it being part it's, of the plot. It's such a it's such a minor detail, but I love I love that narrative. It's so uh, satisfying. Yeah. So you fight you fight this thing because. You, I don't even know if I want to or if it's necessary for me to explain the plot of this game. It's not. No, I like. Uh, but what I like about you explaining it is, I mean, there's this difficulty in explaining it, right? Like, it's it's right. it's probably a game you haven't played for a while. Um, but then also, even if it was a game you played yesterday, it's just a difficult game to explain. Like, you there can are, explain. Oh, good. There are con- sorry. Uh, there no, are contrivances please. in the game for why you're the protagonist, basically. Okay, right. So you're you're playing as someone who is vitally important to the plot, but you you don't know you're vitally important to the plot. Also there's a point where the main antagonist like hijacks your body because he needs your body for something <laughs> because uh-huh. of how of how you're used in the plot. And you actually play as your character in the body of the main antagonist for like Probably a third of the game. Wow, that's a so. And you, you're, you're, you're basically treated as a separate character. That's really weird. And there's a whole element of like fantasy racism in the game where you're playing as a demi-human cat person and like, right. like everyone in your starting town refuses to talk to you. Yeah, that sort of safe racism all, like, you see in like X Men or something like that. Yeah, right? where it's, yeah. Where it's like, you know. Let's tell a tor- story about racism, and you bring in all the blue skin aliens instead of like actually talking about it because <laughs> right. you still have to sell copies of your game. Yeah, and it's yeah, right, exactly. No, I mean, what's so interesting about it though is that like all of these things to me, as you're explaining it, and I would have never been able. So I'm I'm really grateful for you uh, pushing through that because like honestly. It's not something I'd wish on a lot of people, and I think you handled it really well. It's a bit much, like, and I've played that game for probably something like 300 combined hours, and I haven't actually ever finished it. Not through my own fault, but because I've basically been extremely unlucky. Like, either the disc has been too scratched for me to continue, and I bought another copy, and then I was at the end of the game, and there was a storm, and my save file got corrupted. Oh no! And then there was—I tried to play it on emulators a few times, and I couldn't really get it to to work out very well. And I know I mentioned that, but it's completely legal because I have two copies. Oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 don't worry. Also, I don't think the authorities are listening to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, but, oh, can never be too safe, though. Yeah. Um. No, but what's so interesting about all that is there's this there's this um. So again, this is just kind of uh. A bad habit of mine, but maybe also becoming a trademark of the podcast, um, is that, you know, I always bring things back to this sort of literary critical dictionary or, or terminology that I have from um, getting a PhD in it. But the uh, 
the you know there's there's these two ways of understanding storytelling uh, some narratologists narratologists will tell you um one being synchronic which is like beginning to end right and the other being diachronic which is like i always kind of think about it as vertical time um i think that's kind of i think that's how walter benjamin talks about it. it's uh, uh you might know, I, I you know but you may know benjamin um, no, I'm familiar. I, yeah, I yeah, yeah. I've been trying to read Illuminations for like probably three years now. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting, but it's pretty dense. That is exactly how I would describe. It. I never actually had to read it while doing my major. They never asked me to, but I I went out of my way to read it, and it's like some of it. I feel like some of it is useful, so like some of the stuff about translation, especially. Yeah, for sure. But, um, it seemed maybe, you know, you know. Never mind. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna offer my opinion as what like a bachelor's <laughs> degree haver. Hey, like, no. It's if, if there's anything I've learned about uh, while getting a PhD, it's that bachelor's degree havers have just as much right to uh, opine on theory as I do. Um, but no, I mean, I think like I think what you're saying is right. Like, and and sort of goes to the point, which is that there's something very elementally interesting about Benjamin, at least to me, like I find his work very elementally interesting and then not precisely useful. Um, I mean, I, I cited, I know, I don't think I ever cited him and I cited people like Barth's a lot more. Yeah, sure. Oh, Barth does. Um, I mean, he actually does readings. Benjamin does these sort of like social spiritual readings that are very difficult to, to, yeah, he seems manifest. to be, he seems to be doing readings of like thing as a whole rather than any individual, like, translation or poem or book yeah. kind of he's talks much more a philosopher like, yeah yeah but like there's this way i mean he talks i guess what he calls this is divine time the idea of diachronic time where he's thinking about like yeah that's right so there's sort of like homogenous time which is like time stretched out from end to end so like the beginning of the world and the end of the world and chrono trigger and then there's like what he calls divine time which is again like diachronic time or time stacked up on top of itself so like actually a perfect example of it would be the room at the end of the world and Chrono Trigger, but even better would be um, that city you described, right? With the waves um, mm -hmm. where like every single thing is happening in that moment. It's frozen, but you can sort of see like, you can kind of extrapolate it back into what yep. it would look like if it was like going through normal time. And that's kind of the implication, which mm -hmm. is like, look at this thing that's happening, but you get to forever experience it happening in the same way that video games produce that that sense of fake urgency. Yeah. Where they're like, you have to go do this. And like in the narrative, the characters have to go do this and they go and do it when you actually get around to it. But you can <laughs> right. kind of like screw around and do side quests or just like idle for hours and hours for basically as many hours as you want. Well, it's and like the narrative will collapse the whole thing once you actually get to the next plot point. And it'll act like your characters were, like, running there the whole time rather than screwing around. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like how people talk about The Witcher 3 when, like, they're they're at, <laughs> at the end of the quest trying to get 100%. And they're like, you know, everyone's like, well, I sure hope you save the world soon. It's like, yeah, all right. Like, let's play cards, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I, but no. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. It's, it's, just a, it's just a point. Like, I think there, there are some games that actually have that sense of, like, it has the inbuilt timer. Right. Like, like, famously Majora's Mask, which lots of people played because it was a part of a big-budget series like Legend of Zelda. But I was thinking of, um... God, I can never remember this game because it's, like... It's such a minor game, 
um, that nobody nobody played except me, and I didn't even play all that much of it. And I actually have to open my like chest of PS2 games and all right. sort through it. That's some like that's some authenticity right there. It's an actual chest. Yeah, no, I I believe you. That's like that's very cool, actually. That makes me I, I like I long. This is another podcast, but I kind of long for the materiality, even though I don't really have material games as much anymore. But I long for that materiality of like the guidebook and the CD and the. Oh, I have tons of guidebooks. I actually have I guidebooks for games I never played, and that was something I would like because it would be cheaper to buy a guidebook for a game than it would than be to, play the to game. yeah to buy the sure. console I didn't have to buy it because I got a PS2 pretty late. Um, okay, Shadow of Destiny. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, I, that has an actual timer where you're doing things according to a timer, and it also has multiple routes, and it has time travel and all that fun stuff that, right. like, I, I love about games, but it it is on a it is on a time system where you have to go do things at specific times in the game, and figuring out when you can do stuff like early on and kind of catch plot points before they happen, it's like critical to getting the best endings. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting that you bring that up. Cause I was actually the last podcast I did I think yesterday was on side quests. And I was trying to think of games where like that actually occurred too. And one of them that came to mind to me was, um, uh, dead rising, which I don't know if you ever played dead rising. No, I played, I played, you know, that was a game where I was like that that time element like really stressed me out. It stressed me out too, absolutely. And like it's funny because like you know Dead Rising I, I think is is like designed to be played multiple times. So like there is the new game plus element where like by the end the time element is is something that you can manage because you're so overpowered. Mm-hmm. Um, but like what's interesting is that dead rising expects you to play through the game multiple times and get like different visions of the game. So you can see it as a whole, right? So you can kind of like have like God mode, God view on the game and say like, okay, I can see it from the top down. It looks like this as a whole. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas something like, I mean, something like shadow of destiny is a little different, uh, but kind of does the same thing. Like any sort of timed game is expecting you to kind of work it out as a, as a matter of expertise. I think something like that is just like dead rising is, is really quantifying the amount of time you put into it because you get more, mm. more powerful. So every time you restart it, you inst- well, interesting. instead of necessarily having more knowledge, you could play through that game and not figure anything out. At the very least, you can punch zombies a lot better. <laughs> right. In something like Shadow of Destiny, <laughs> there's not combat. So if you're not learning anything about how the game works... Mm-hmm. Um, then you're basically just wasting your time. It's the same with like, and this this is a game series that I played recently and and thoroughly enjoyed. I don't know if you ever played any of the Zero Escape games. No, I never did. But they starting starting especially with like the first one. The first one goes back to that like Japanese visual novel type minutia thing where you're expected to figure out the very minor. Uh, conversation points to do and in what order to get the best ending and you can figure it out but like they've streamlined that when they remade the game for pc recently but starting with the games after that you will you will go through like different plot uh like branches and um characters will basically turn to you and say things and give you like codes and stuff that the game doesn't keep track of you're supposed to keep track of 
Oh, and geez. when you go play through a different route and something comes up, you're supposed to, re- you know, pull that memory up yourself and get it. And I actually still have the sheets of paper I used when I was <laughs> playing the second and third games. And I have, like... You, you know, yeah, written down codes and stuff. I have, like, written down codes where I was, like, I had I had blocked out parts of the, the paper to... um be like, all right, I need this code, and I don't know where I'm going to get it, but, like, I know I need a code for this thing. And I was getting codes for things that I didn't know I would need them for, so I was like, what is this for? And it would basically, it would shove something in front of me <laughs> and be like, do this, do put this in. And sometimes it would give you, like, ten seconds to do it. And I'd be like, is, is it this code? Is it this code that I got, like, in a wildly different, like, plot branch? Right. And those That's games eventually, eventually, because you're expected to do that across plot branches, it's a part of the plot itself. And, you know, there's time travel and stuff. Sorry if that's, like, spoilers, but it's kind of like starting from the end of the first game onwards. It's a pretty expected part of the series, I think. Okay. Anyways, it, they eventually coalesce all into one plot line. Hmm. And that's really interesting. Because there's... You don't. There's no combat like something like Dead Rising or something where you're repeating play cycles, and it's it's mainly a game about you know the the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, because in a game like that, like the gameplay is puzzles, and in something like Shadow of Destiny, it's even less than that. It's mainly just you know talking to the right people and bringing the right items. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I don't even think there's that much of like traditional uh, video game PS2 PS1 era puzzle solving. It's mainly just figuring out how to socialize and uh, do tasks for people before they before they necessarily expect you to, or do it in the most optimal way, which I think is a part of Dead Rising, but uh, yeah. not one that you necessarily have to do because you never have to save everybody to get the best ending. Right. Well, I mean, but there's a there's a way in which so you say optimizing, and I think that's a really useful term. Because all the games you're describing, and, and this is so rich, because, like, you know, the difference between, I mean, the Zero Escape games force a kind of uh, mastery in a different way than some of the other games we've been talking about. So, like, in Nier, everything's, in Nier Automata, everything's saved for you. You can kind of, like, you know, it's marked on a map, or it's marked in some sort of database, And you're not expected to make any decisions about, you. you make, like... You make a few decisions, but most of them are negligible to the way the yeah. plot goes. They're kind of, like, for flavor. And you make one decision at the end of the game where it's like, you either get one ending or you get the other, and you can immediately go back and choose the other one. So choose it's, the it's, other ending, right. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, Zero, Zero Escape not only has, like, meaningful choices, but it has you writing them down in a piece of paper. Um, but what I think so interesting about both those and that larger discussion of sequels that we were having is that, again, like, it's the sense of figuring out the totality of a game. Like, any game that you're playing is, on some level, urging you as a player to figure out its totality, or challenging you to figure out the totality. And maybe in some cases, um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but maybe in some cases, it, it literally, like, there is no totality to figure out. Like, that's the point of the game. Maybe in something like the Stanley Parable, or something like Meta, or a little experimental, um, but any of these games are just like challenging us to find uh, a vision of the game that actually encompasses the whole, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting you bring that up because hold on, 
cough. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, so the thing about the thing about Stanley Parable and the next game uh, he makes, which is Beginner's Guide, is that Stanley Parable is very clever and it has jokes and it has the funny British man and it's like, you know, you're playing a mod and you're expected to you're expected to follow the storyline and it chides you for getting off the storyline and there are, you know multiple storylines or non storylines um for you know deviating from that path and it's also supposed it's also supposed to you know make kind of a point about the way narratives work in 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 games where you're supposed to have some measure of freedom of choice mm-hmm. and then beginner's guide is the opposite of is kind of the opposite of that where you are playing through these games that the that the narrator who is the creator of the of Stanley Parable and you know it's like hey it's me you know God, I can't remember his name. Davey Reedon? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's... I'm going to have to look this up because... Here, I, I can. You go, go ahead. I'll look it up for you. Yeah, Davey Reedon, if I'm pronouncing okay. that correctly. So he's like, hi, this is, you know, these are some mods a guy I know made. Um, play through them. I'm going to, you know, talk about what I think the story of it is. Um because they're they're very they're they're very as as people call like they're very walking simulator. You walk from one point to the next. There's not really any gameplay. You just kind of go through it. Mm-hmm. And the storyline of Beginner's Guide is that Davy, or you know the character Davy is playing of himself, has decided to take all this guy's work, who he sees as representing like these bigger themes. And then make them definitely be about these themes. Like he he starts adding stuff. You find out <laughs> later he's added stuff to the levels to make them match his ideas about what the level is about. Mm-hmm. And the actual the um the author of the original levels is incredibly creeped out by this. And and you find something where he's basically like, Davy, I hate this thing you're doing. Stop. Like don't right. talk to me again. Like stop taking my levels and adding stuff to them. Like I'm not I'm not the person you think I am, and these things aren't the things you think they are. And you're doing this for yourself, not to help me. So please leave me alone. Hmm. So he's he's basically you're playing you're playing you're playing the first the the supposed actual playthrough of Stanley Parable as being inflicted upon somebody else's work, which he, you know, Davey also had to have made himself because it's a fake story. Sure, of course. Yeah, but in the same way that Chrono, like Chrono Cross and Chrono Trigger comment on each other in terms of, like, unexpected implications or um, thematic questions that are left unanswered from the first game, right? Like, there's, there's a way in which Beginner's Guide challenges you to understand it through the lens of Stanley Parable, explicitly, I guess, in this case, um, in, in so far as like maybe if you weren't uh, challenged that way, it could just be like a different game or a sequel without context. But it, it's sort of like that it refers to the Stanley Parable. That Chrono Cross refers to Chrono Trigger, right? The Chrono right. Is and I think games. you can play the you can play you can definitely play Beginner's Guide without having played the first one. But I think it means more if you've if you played the first one and you get a sense of the character the creator is playing of himself as someone who is trying to be clever and trying to put hidden meaning into things. And mm. Chrono Cross, you can play by itself, even though it's a sequel, because it's so wildly different. Like, Chrono Trigger is you have a small cast, and in Chrono Cross, you have something like 50 people. You can, like... Uh, it's more like Sui Coden, where you can, like, uh, 
get people into your party, and they all have little minor side plots, but it's not the same. I think it's more character-driven than Chrono Trigger, but it's like you don't spend much time with any of the characters, and their right. side plots are really like they're really like baked into a deeper layer of the game where you have to kind of go out of your way and do certain things and avoid other characters because they're because you can't actually you can't actually get everyone into your party in in I think less than three playthroughs because <laughs> because when you interact with certain characters you kind of you you prevent yourself from interacting with others because there are certain times where you're supposed to like Oh, your friend is sick. Do you want to like? Do you want to like leave her to stay poisoned because there's no way to unpoison her, or do you want to like go out of your way, really, really deeply out of your way, um, like like probably like five or six hours worth of gameplay out of your way <laughs> to go wow. to like the other universe and fuck stuff up and get get her like a uh, get her something. That will, you know, cure her poison, and she gets cured either way. But you, you basically burn, burn the bridges with a few characters if you don't do it, and you don't, and if you, um, and if you do do it, then there are characters that you don't get to meet. Right. And then there's there's choices where you have to like you have to select one of three characters to like guide you somewhere, and there's 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 all these things where they're like you're. You never have to interact with any of these characters. There's no indication that they'll join you except by like you look at their character design versus like generic NPCs and you try to right, sure. you know you try to suss out. It's like the old Fire Emblem joke where you can tell who you're going to ally with because they have prettier portraits. Yeah, sure, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a way that that's like a concretized version of the the like time ambivalence in Chrono Trigger though, where like it's actually like commenting on something that was a feeling in the first game by making it actually like material in the second game. Right. Like there's not too many like alternate playthroughs. there's alternate playthroughs, but like literally most times it's the ending except for, as I'm recalling, except for like, you can ask Magus to be in your party or not essentially. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, there's ambivalence in terms of the ending, but larger ambivalence just in terms of theme and, like, with that question of, like, who's going to be in your party or who's not, what choices are you going to make, and the expectation of multiple playthroughs, that's, like, more of, like, a concretization of that. Yeah. It's... Out in the wash the same. Mm-hmm. Where they, you, you make all these minor choices, and they're just that, minor choices, because the, the way they present the time travel is... And, and that the... Well, the parallel universe thing in Chrono Cross is basically like you can make all these choices, but this supercomputer that's kind of working outside of time is going to just kind of is kind of just going to push everything into place no matter what you do. And once you get that out of the way, the forces that you've now unleashed are also powerful enough to kind of push it in any way they want it to. So you're always like you're fighting your destiny, but in a really like, in a really kind of like boxed in way where you, you finally like you've gotten to a point in the narrative where you should be able to do whatever you want, but then you're up against another powerful enemy who kind of prevents you from doing anything besides fighting them. Mm. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a smart way of making it still like presenting that narrative without having to create a fully like weird open world game that couldn't possibly have existed on the PS one. Yeah, right. Exactly. 
That's really interesting. So I have one, uh, and then I'm going to open it up for you to say anything you want, but I have one sort of lingering open question that I wanted to ask you, um, which is, and I think I know the answer, so maybe I should ask it in a different way than just the answer. Um, <laughs> it seems to me, let me say it first, and you can say yes or no, but it seems to me that you prefer, and I think I prefer after hearing your defense of them, uh, these sort of like uh, sequels that are um, interpretive sequels, let's say, not sequels that kind of like follow up immediately, but sequels that require a sort of um, a sort of thematic or um, a kind of buy-in from the from the player to operate as sequels. You seem to like them better than say like a direct sequel or something that's obviously like a, a follow up. Um, yeah, I'd say for the most part I do. I mean, there are times where I like direct sequels, um, but I think, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, I think the era of direct sequels is, well, not era, but, like, direct sequels are kind of, um, popularized around simpler types of games. Sure. Where, like, it's actually, like, RPGs tend to have thematic sequels where they don't recycle, um, something like Final Fantasy and, um... Like it, it every every sequel, every numbered sequel, unless it's like Final Fantasy thirteen, two and three, or Final <laughs> Fantasy ten and Final Fantasy ten two. Yeah. Um they're they're more thematic sequels than anything else where they will share basic plot elements like, you know, crystals and protagonist and their buddies, airships, a guy named Sid a lot of the summons and the characters, there's there's basically, like, you know, like, Tezuka's star system, where you'd reuse the same, um... He, he basically had, like, narrative actors, which were character designs that would, he would reuse across oh. different series, whereas, like, huh. if, you're, if you're reading one thing by him and you read another and you see the same character, but they have a different name and a different role in the story, he says he, has a, he had a set of designs that he would just reuse... Oh, that's interesting. Um, and it, it's kind of like that, where they're like, yeah, we have, you know, Bahamut and Odin and Gilgamesh and all these other, like, creatures and things in the game, and we're not going to reuse them in, in in a way that references the last game, except in kind of an uh, oblique way, where you're right. seeing the same people, but they're, you know, they're they're different they look different, they're used slightly differently, and they're not, you know... Your characters don't know anything about the previous game, and neither do the antagonists, but you, the player, are like, well, these elements are the same as the last one. You know, MP, HP, all that kind of UI stuff, and then, you, you know, the names of some of your allies, the name of some of your antagonists, you know, mm -hmm. general themes. Like, if you're playing a Final Fantasy game, you can expect at some point... There's going to be an airship. There's going right. to be, you know, an empire. There's going to be crystals. There's going to be some other stuff. And you can expect that from game to game. But they're not direct sequels in anything but name. Excuse me. That's for the interesting because, yeah, no, I mean, because what you're describing, I mean, I was thinking about totally different genre, but I was looking yesterday. Um, I've been thinking about doing a horror series, and I was looking at uh, that Outlast 2 came out yesterday. And I was thinking about the connections between Outlast and Outlast 2, um, and immediately that came up to me again, which is like, there's not really connections, except they take place in the same world, they're sort of the same themes, they look the same, they have similar gameplay uh, dynamics, but they're different stories. And it seems to me that that's like how 
people are creating, and I mean, maybe they took it from RPGs to begin with, because RPGs, as you say, have been at this for quite a while. Um, but there's a way in which, like, that's just, it's a way to build a community as opposed to sort of, like, a demand, right? Where, like, in fact, what you get are people who will buy something under the header or want to play something, being a little less cynical, under the header of Final Fantasy, under the header of, like, the Chrono Games, or under the header of Outlast, um, that, you know, it doesn't matter what the story's about, it doesn't matter if it's a continuation or anything like that. They expect a sort of thematic consistency, a play, a mechanical consistency, something like that. Yeah, it's not a direct sequel in the way that, like... Because I'm thinking of, like, you know, Bayonetta 1 and Bayonetta 2, they're action games, you know, they're direct sequels. <laughs> Um, like Devil May Cry, Call of Duty, Battlefield, and the thing about those games that I think is kind of interesting, and I could, you know, I have a lot to say about those, but some of it is just you'll have to come on again and talk uh, about Call of Duty and Battlefield. So the thing about those games is that the the first the first like modern Call of Duty game that kind of kicked off like Modern Warfare, which kicked off like you know modern military hoorah kind of stuff in in those in those games more than anything else did sort of set a precedent for the way those stories are shaped even outside of its own series where modern warfare has stuff that's new to shooters or new to the popular narrative of shooters where it's like play as a character who doesn't have a gun who gets executed play as someone who's dying from you know nuclear exposure and this is like when I played it initially, whenever it was released in like 2008 or something, I was like, this is shocking. Yeah. Or it was like 2006. Um, whenever that game came out, I was like, this is shocking because you play these games and they're explicit power fantasies and they still were explicit power fantasies, except they also put you into this fantasy of like utter helplessness mm-hmm. and forced you to go through with it as, as a, as a sort of like preamble to being, you know, the Marine or whatever, or you would play as right. like the Marine and then you die. And that's like, well, that's how it is sometimes. Right. Um, yeah. but the way, but that, 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 you know, relative shockingness became diluted because the second game also had that where it's like you play as, you know, a CIA guy who shoots a bunch of civilians with his, you know, terrorist, um, the people he's infiltrated as a way of maintaining his cover, but he dies anyways. And then there's like, God, what else happened in that game? Um, there was, there was that, there was the third game. Well, there in the second game, you also like play as someone who gets betrayed and killed. And, um, (laughs) and in the third game, you see like, there's a chemical attack and you, you play as like a dad who's filming his family and they all die. And, like, you actually have the choice to just, like, skip that scene. Like, it'll just be like, do you want to skip this? It's kind of graphic. But that choice in itself is, like, we have to put this in because this is how the narratives work now. There has to be a shocking a shocking moment of helplessness. Right. Yeah, of course. And, and now, then even, like, even the idea of the choice sort of suggests that they don't, like, it's not something they feel is, like... It's not necessarily shocking, but thematically necessary, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's there. To, it's there because that's how the narratives are now. And like in battle, in the the battlefield, like starting with three and four, and even like you know explicit cop fantasy hardline. Well, maybe less in that game because it's it's more it's more uh, emulation of like a Netflix show or like a CBS show where it's 
you know, kind of like cop shoot stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, but three and four are are copies of the modern warfare games, and that they also have these moments of like your character gets you know uh, taken hostage and executed, and like four has like you you play as a guy who you know dies. I I've, you know I didn't actually even finish four, and I love schlocky bullshit. <laughs> like it was so it was such blocky bullshit but it had it had moments of like yeah you find these guys who are trapped and they're like and they're like begging you for help and you can't do anything about it and you have to just leave right. them to die and it's like well this is how the narratives have to be because this is how you know this is how we sell these things because they're all basically the same game so whatever right. your shocking moments are you get to be you get to point at that and say this is a grown-up narrative because there is a weird part in it <laughs> Yeah, but like as you say, like it's not that's something that is expected in serial sequels as opposed to something that like or not even serial sequels but sequels that are like carbon copies of each other as opposed to something where like something like Chrono Cross and Chrono Trigger where they can say like yeah, look, this is a different story. Like it's not going to have the same notes. It's not going to hit the same notes. Which I, in fact, like as you pointed out, might explain why as a teenage boy, which sort of indicates um how old I am uh when I played it on PS1, um I just didn't, I didn't recognize it because I was like, well, where's the Corona Trigger parts I like? Um, and that's not really the point, I guess, right? <laughs> like it's it it sort of is more about creating a world or creating a an ethos or a thematic or, or whatever. Yeah, I um, think it's not a, about creating the same game. I think it's a I think it's a more adult take on like thematic sequels than I think hmm. people who you know were kids and like playing colorful things really wanted. So there, yeah. it's like Chrono Cross is famously, I said it before, it's famously complicated story-wise, and you know there are lots of people like who make videos about the storyline, and it's like the storyline and exactly how it fits together is not like super important. Like you can you can like prod the plot holes all day, but the the idea is basically you're playing through the remnants of the first game's playthrough. You're kind of dealing with all the, the dangling threads and all the dangling threads, those dangling threads made. You're, like, dealing with this post, uh, you know, childhood fantasy world. And in a very childhood fantasy way, but at least in one that acknowledges, you know, what you're doing. Yeah, I don't, and I think, like, in, in, the, in the way that... Um, in a way that the the modern warfare games don't necessarily do where like the the adult stuff they add you know adding it in the first place you're right sort of does something interesting but um in the way that like and and this sort of happens in even games that i consider a little more sophisticated like spec ops the line or something where there are moments where you have to choose things right or moments where like you're faced with a moral decision um and that's supposed to be adult Whereas the actual sort of like more adult thing is having to reckon with something you enjoyed and the the sort of like darker or harsher or um, more unpleasant implications of that thing. And I like and you know you know pe- people have have said like well Spec Ops the Line isn't you know it's not that clever and it, you know it probably isn't but it's like I think it's a it's a kind of a deeply unpleasant game to play. Like a yeah, because no, it's it like <laughs> a because it's a third person shooter, which is a notoriously unfun genre of video game, but also <laughs> because that game gets very aggressive the more you go through it. 
Oh yeah, and the, it's, the, the scene like, where you have to white phosphorus everyone is just that's like, just that's like it's because it's you're not it's like it's like oh you white phosphorus them but you never had the choice it's like yeah that's the whole point like this a the soldiers are supposed to be represented as not having a choice um, because they're doing they're doing what they're told to do or you know presumably they get you know court martialed or shot or whatever right and it's uh, and you're supposed to reckon with the fact that oh you did that and you you know you probably enjoy just turning white blots into gray blots like cuz in modern warfare games you play as the gunship and you're just fight you're just shooting you're shooting cannons at dots on the ground and then you watch the dots disappear and this is like you you know you shot dots and they disappeared and they were all civilians but even if they weren't civilians you still killed a bunch of people like your characters killed a bunch of people and in right, other exactly. narratives where they're supposed to be okay these ones clearly aren't and it's represented by them getting more and more desperate and angry in everything they say and do and the fact that the narrative becomes more compressed and more about them just barreling through their assignment and you know the fact that all the loading screens start to get weird and I think yeah, it's a game weird. that just like is like embraces the fact that the games that it's it's slightly lampooning are also incredibly aggressive power fantasies that never you know, look at themselves in that way. And like Spec Ops the Line is still like even even when you're doing something like that, it's still, you know, you're still shooting people with a gun because you're a soldier. So at some at some point, like, if you really don't enjoy it, you can turn the game off. Right, exactly. And there's I mean that's it's I think what I think what you point out is really interesting though, in that like the it kind of puts paid the the idea of being like I, I'm thinking of like the Battlefield one um, and we should probably wrap up soon because I think we're getting into a whole other topic. But uh, I'm thinking of the Battlefield One um, intro. I haven't played Battlefield One, but I've, I've watched people play the intro where like you are a soldier in a World War One thing, and you just keep dying, and then you move to the next soldier, you die again, and it keeps like putting your name up, like you know how old you were when you died or whatever, right? Um, and there's something profound about that where you're just like oh yeah like war is not fun it's like really horrible and but then you play the time. multiplayer mode which is about how yeah. fun war is where you're you exactly know, you're doing all the fun stuff then like you go to the store and you see the pizza with the battlefield one guy on it and it's yeah. like it's such a it's it's such a it's it feels like spec off the line it's like oh this is a profound statement you know that's still in a shooter game that you're expected to play all the way through and right. you can and then, make like, the moral choice to just not go through with it, but they, from the beginning, they're like, you paid $60 or however much for this. You're going to go through with it, no right. matter how unpleasant this particular scene is. Well, and I think that's what's so interesting about it is that, like, the game, and of course that's why the game was not nearly as popular, but, like, that the game actually says, actually sort of makes it, unple- as you say, makes it unpleasant uh, for you. Like, makes the whole process, like, kind of cringy and awful towards the end. Like, and not cringy and awful in, like, a you know, when I played Gears of War and my wife came home sort of way, and like, oh, it's like, sorry, I'm watching this weird macho, like, uh, thing for 13-year-olds when I'm 25. But, like, you know, like, the 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 way that, like, in fact, like, you are just, like, super unwilling or uninterested in doing the things you have to do, like, and you still do them, like, that's actually a much more interesting commentary in some ways. Mm-hmm. There, there is, there, like, there, I've talked to you about, like, moral implications of just quitting games before. And yeah. 
and like making that deliberate decision and like you said though i think it's a whole different topic and like it depends on if you want to get into it or not because if we're if we're looking at what we planned on talking about there's a lot still <laughs> i think i think we should probably i think we should probably call it a little short and have you on again uh cuz i don't want to i don't want to get too far afield cuz i'm i'm worried that the uh that if we don't um I think we got a good a good series of thoughts on on sequels and a good series of thoughts on uh, actually surprisingly and and you know pleasantly surprisingly we got a good series of thoughts on uh, the actual sort of meaning of mature uh, storytelling in video games, which is actually very much a um, a hot topic with Ian Bogost's uh, let's kindly say controversial uh, new article about narrative in video games. Um, so I think I think if you would be willing to come on again we could we could pick up the rest later but i think um i think for now we can call it unless you had and this is your chance if you had any like burning uh, uh things to say or plug or um add or summarize or anything like that this is this is your your free free role say whatever well, say whatever okay. comes to mind two two things we never really talked that much about near automata which kind of started the ball rolling and I don't know mm-hmm. how much I have left to say about it, but... Um, say it all. <laughs> basically, I just liked... I, I liked that implication where... And this is this is spoilers territory if we haven't already gotten into that. Um, but, like, you play the first you play the first round as 2B, and you're like, oh, I'm the protagonist, and 9S is my plucky sidekick. And you play the second playthrough, and it feels a lot more like 9S has been the, the protagonist the whole time, and 2B's the sidekick. And when you go along longer in the story, it kind of it continues to be like, yeah, 9S is kind of more of the protagonist in in the narrative sense, and you know, 2B and A2 are like um, just kind of dealing with it and have been dealing with mm-hmm. it in some cases. And then as you get towards the end of the game, you have to you know you have to reckon with something that is essentially a the protagonist has gone rogue on you right. and you're playing this, like you're playing someone who's supposed to be, you know, doing something particular and has finally managed to get on the track where they are, you know, they're outside the parameters of like their internal narrative of their directive as an Android and kind of the directive of what a protagonist should be doing, which is, you know, not screaming at the other protagonists and not like, <laughs> And not chopping his own arm off or stabbing people. Right. Sure, right. And and so you get to the end of the game, and it's kind of like you and this other character are both are you know are both the protagonists, but you're both kind of shitty, and the whole situation is shitty, and you have to deal with it. And then you have minor characters dealing with the protagonists in a way that turns them into the protagonists, and it's like it's just it's a it's a very weird game where it keeps hopping from you know focal point to focal point where it's like that's a good way to describe it like all these like if you played individually as any as like one of these people you probably wouldn't get to the point where it is at the end it's only because you switched around and made decisions and kind of socialized with the other protagonists like you know in the story but also as a player going between all of them that the actual like true ending of the game is allowed to exist and in that ending, where 
like you you start to actually interact with other players in a meta way and like you're not actually playing with them but you have to make a very you have to make you know a hard decision to help these people or not that you see right. that other people have made Hmm. And like the the bartering chip at that point is your save data. Like you can help another player at the cost of your whole game. <laughs> and people and people who are helping you in the in at the end of the game have done that. So it's like these people made that, you know, that relative sacrifice. Are you willing to do it to kind of offer them or others the same, you know, the same chance you were? And so it becomes a way of like kind of this weird socialization aspect uh all the all the people working together you know supersede the idea of like the single protagonist and then you know the ancillary characters is only everyone together over multiple playthroughs and multiple perspectives allows you to you know get to the end of the storyline in a way that's not terrible in the way that Yoko Taro's <laughs> games have been, where he said this year would have a happy ending and it actually does in a way um, and nobody actually expected it. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know, when you get someone who's only made unhappy endings promising you that, I suppose that's not something you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's that's really interesting. I actually, I'm going to have to keep that in mind when I, when I eventually write on the game because I think the, the point about Focal points being important for it is is absolutely uh, well said. And what was your other point? The other point was that I do have something to plug. <laughs> oh, do it. Well, I um, if you go to well, if you go to my Twitter page, it should be the pinned tweet. It's it's called it's you're familiar with Twine, I assume. I, and I know Twine is kind of a kill code for a lot of people because it's you know it's it's very like interactive fiction web 3.0 uh art stuff which i like but i know it's it's a major turnoff for some people but this is this is a thing i'm doing called um like enforced modesty where i just kind of self-denigrate until whatever i'm about to uh put out doesn't sound appealing so i don't have to like think about it that much it's a really bad habit um <laughs> it's but it's it's a collection of like poetry and some old games cred I did. It's called a uh, Divine Spear. If you go to my Twitter page, it should be at the top. It's also at uh, lavosxii.itch.io/divine-spear. Um, and I'm retweeting it right now, so you can find it on my Twitter page too. It's um, it's not, it's not necessarily new work, but it's stuff that I've done from like 2012 to now that I decided was no longer needed to exist as a series of like disconnected uh, PDFs and um, archive.org material. So I decided to throw it all together. And in terms of just like one, one big thing that you can kind of click through and read. And there's stuff about, um, there's some games crit about there. I have some more, but what's up there right now is about um, resident evil Gaiden, a very weird, uh, Resident that is a very Evil. weird game. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's 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 a bit more like a rhythm game than anything else. Um, there's Bomberman Fantasy Race, which is like a kart racer for Bomberman, which had its oh, own weird. whole weird uh, like storyline adventure games in the way Pac-Man did that are kind of like lost to time. Um, 
there is poetry about Kirby 64, which I, I like, and a lot of people have liked. It's, it's a little free association, a little like, uh, musings. I hate that word, but it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot like that. Something about trying to write about Fitzcarraldo, despite having not seen Fitzcarraldo, but having, you know, read descriptions of the documentary about the making of Fitzcarraldo. (laughs) Right. Um, And my best fiend or (laughs) yeah, 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 there's, uh, you know, poetry about cartoons, games, Romans, (laughs) uh, so it's, it's, it's a lot of work that represents like a lot of what I've done when I was at, at college, um, and I think I think a lot of it holds up well. And it was a, I don't know if you've like you ever go back and read your older work and are pleasantly surprised, but I was pretty pleasantly surprised going back through stuff that I had written off as being like, well, I'm too mature to ever do that again. And being surprised at like, oh, when I was 21, I was, you know, I was writing better than I thought I was. Or when I was 20, I was writing better than I thought I was. I've never felt that way about my poetry, but I've, I've, I've felt that way about other things, so I can understand that part. But that's really cool. I'm gonna have to. I haven't. I had. I somehow missed that. I think because you. Um, it, this sounds like an accusation, but it isn't. You uh, you posted it on my birthday, um, <laughs> so I think I think I had other things on my mind. But um, I uh, I'm definitely gonna look at that tonight. That looks really great. All right. Thank you for uh, for having me on. Is there, yeah. is there any like last questions? Uh, no, I mean, uh, please come back because I'm really interested in hearing more of your take on, uh, schlocky games and, uh, and I'm interested in hearing more on your thoughts about extremely indirect sequels. Like you mentioned Sirius Sam and the Talos Principle, which I think is just a fascinating mm-hmm. combination that I never even thought of, um, despite having written extensively on Talos. Um, but yeah, no, please come back again. This was a this was a blast. I had a, I had a great time. Thank you, Erica, for for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. It was a, it was a great time. Absolutely. Follow Erica at Lavos XII on Twitter. You won't regret it. And um, yeah, uh, I'll see you all next time. <laughs>